Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Roxanne Hodge of Authentic Living with Roxanne. This week, my special guest is Jason Cochran, and he and I had such a great conversation with so much information packed in that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in again next week for part two. You won't want to miss any of the great content on how to keep your employees motivated and to optimize their functioning by the way they get taught. Uh, Jason uh, comes to us with a wealth of knowledge, and he's a co-founder of a company called DoLead. DoLead is an automated employee experience program. And what does that mean? Well, we all want to know how to engage our employees. And as you know, with me, I talk a lot about authentic or being authentic in your space as a leader. Um, So Jason's company works with Uh, companies across um, different sectors to engage employees. How do you keep them engaged, help them learn, and um, obviously stay connected in a way that impacts productivity? So Jason, thanks so much for taking the time today to come on with us. Hey, Roxanne, looking forward to the conversation today. So we, you know, I talk a lot about um, being authentic. So what I often say to people is that I think most of us, when we're in our space, we believe we're, we're authentic, but sometimes what happens is the pressures of the different environments we can be in, you know, it disconnects us from being authentic. What do you kind of see there out there with leaders um, about uh, being authentic in their space? Yeah, I, I can speak from my own experience and that I think I'm always inside my own head, like this, this inner dialogue is always running. And one of the questions is wondering, how am I coming across? How, how does this person perceive me? And that can be a good thing in terms of trying to hone some good self-awareness skills. Those are really important for leaders. But I think there's also this delicate balance with it where you don't want to become overly neurotic as well, um, where you just constantly are analyzing everything that you say and do. And I think that's where that authentic leader fits in is right there in that space of finding that that delicate balance of, yes, you're self-aware, but you're also not going to overthink things. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I went on a mission trip to Haiti um, with a friend of mine about 15 years ago. Um, Obviously, a lot of cultural norms and things I'd never been exposed to that are very different from the Midwest in the United States. And while my friend and I were with one of our our Haitian friends there, we were having a conversation and I was reading our Haitian friend's body language. And I started to interpret certain things that I thought he was feeling based off of what we were talking about. And so then I made a statement and he goes, oh, no, that's that's not what I mean or that's not what I'm feeling right now. Mm -hmm. That was a big aha moment for me um, that made me start thinking, Okay. If this is happening in another country, you know, that's obvious, like how many times does this happen in my everyday conversations with other people? 
where I may jump to conclusions or think I know things off of the different signals that I'm trying to read, um, but might come to the inappropriate conclusions. And so at the end of the day, um, I found one of the best techniques to try and help with that is reflective listening. And so reflecting back what it is that you're seeing in saying things like, you know, Roxanne, I see that you are, you know, shaking your head right now. Are, are these some sentiments that you've thought about or that you agree with kind of my perspective on these things? I think when we reframe things like that, it can help bring clarity within our conversations. And that way we're kind of testing to make sure are the signals and inputs that we're getting from the nonverbals and the verbals, are those perceptions in our inner dialogue accurate or are they possibly inaccurate? And can we prevent ourselves from making assumptions that aren't healthy? And I think, you know, when I listen to that, I think you're so right. Like I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, Jason. So, you know, sometimes uh, people, you know, they will keep things in, right? So I'm, because I'm from the culture, it's a combination of um, East Indian culture and, um, you know, the African culture. So it's a, it's a mix um, uh, and obviously the British culture. So you have a combination. And I often say that culturally, um, you know, people will keep things in. And I, I, I would always joke around and say, I know a Trini. <laughs> and I'm saying something and I'm thinking, oh, no, they're not getting it. But, you know, what I think is important, like you said, is we have to trust that sometimes we misread things. And I know you as a psychologist, myself as a psychotherapist, we're bringing a lot of things with us. And sometimes we assume, oh, yeah, well, it's just going to be this way because I'm, you know, from Trinidad or you're from the Midwest or, you know, you're meeting this person. I have this feeling that it's right. And we assume, you know, based on so many things in our lives that in fact it is, but it's that checking it out with the other person to say, hey, I'm feeling this. My sense is I don't get that you are. And I think it's something that you and maybe you and I, obviously, because of what we've done for living for a long time, we naturally do. But the average person, it, it would be something that you'd really kind of have to practice. Would you agree with that? That you'd have to kind of um, check out things. But sometimes it's uncomfortable because people feel like it's contrived. Yeah, I think the research backs that up too, Roxanne. Um, there was a, a fantastic book written just a couple of years ago by an author named Kate Murphy. And the name of the book is called You're Not Listening. And it's around a lot of the research with, with listening and understanding and just communicating effectively. And something that really hit home for me that I did not know is that almost all of us, just our nature, our biology, our DNA, we have negative attribution biases um, in, in terms of how we perceive things. And this also has to do with our inner dialogue that we have in our heads and she delves into a lot of the research on that. And this blew my mind. So the National Science Foundation found that the typical person has at least 6,000 thoughts each day. Mm -hmm. And of those, usually around 80%, approximately 80% tend to be negative. Mm -hmm. And approximately 95% of those tend to be repetitive. So a lot of them are the same thoughts from the, the previous day. And so... When I was reading that book and I'm seeing that research, it just was reaffirming to me that, yes, your point, we have to practice these things in terms of positive attribution bias, because where our brain naturally goes is survival mode and tends to go down the negative route in terms of how we attribute and perceive things. 
And we have to make sure that we're developing a strong inner voice, kind of like a coach almost in our own voice of helping us understand when we're hitting those danger zones of being too negative or thinking that we have all the information we need to draw a conclusion. We need that inner voice coach to pull us back in and say, hold on a second. We need to use some tools in our tool belt here. Maybe it's asking a clarifying question. Maybe it's doing some reflective listening techniques, whatever they might be to make sure that we are understanding where this other person's coming from and, and not just attributing um, negative bias because that's how we tend to be wired um, just in terms of our DNA. So really negative bias, you know, the um, theory you're talking about is that more than likely we're going to think negatively about someone's um, behavior just because based on so many things in, in our lives, potentially, right? Because most of us are into, um, you know, kind of reading things and we, you know, a, a lot about uh, mirror neurons, right? So that we're trying to calibrate. You and I are trying to calibrate. You and I, we've never met. And I feel like I know Jason because we've had multiple calls together now. And when I, when I come into the space, even though it may be different, obviously online, but oftentimes with my uh, people that I'm seeing, they come into it with a heightened state. And then before you know it, you can see there's been a recalibration. However, as a leader, you know, you may not have, you know, a lot of time to calibrate. So this, this element of clarification, which is just, I heard you say this, Jason, is that what you already said? Or did you, did you mean something different? Or reflective listening is just that. Hey, Roxanne, I heard you say X, Y, Z. Um, is that what you're saying? So I think those basic things, you know, affords you the capacity to understand, you know, what, how is Roxanne thinking or how is Jason thinking? And if we're more than likely to be thinking from a, a negative state, um, any of us in whatever capacity, whether we're the basketball coach or the parent or the manager or the leader, we have to recognize there's a lot going on within our space, us delivering the message and then that person interpreting it and bringing it back to us. That's a lot of work that we don't think about that goes into effective communication. I love those things, those techniques you talked about. And another thing I learned along the way too, um, from an expert coach and consultant like you, his name's Tim Spiker. And a lot of times he uses these words, be curious. If you are a leader, be curious. And that was when he shared that with me several months ago, that really resonated with me because it's a simple framework of, I can tell myself in the moment, be curious to remind myself. And then that gets me in the habit of, okay, let's not jump to conclusions. Right. Let's not assume that someone is doing this, you know, out of, you know, poor motivations. Um, but let's be curious. Let's ask some questions to really understand these signals um, that we're getting from this person. I'll tell you, the, to me, the interesting thing about this from Kate Murphy's book on, on listening and our inner dialogue and how it translates into leadership is even though our inner dialogue tends to be negative, we don't really like to have conversations with other people who are negative, um, <laughs> which is, you know, ironic or an oxymoron, whatever we want to call it. Um, it it's, it's quite interesting that that's the case. And she, she has a chapter in the book that talks about how MRI studies have shown our inner dialogue activates the same parts of our brain as when we're talking to someone else. 
So just like you and I are having a conversation and it's lighting up parts of our brain right now, when we're with ourselves and we hear our inner voice, it lights up the same parts of our brain. And so she, she makes the point. She says, if we don't enjoy speaking with the most negative person we can think of in our life and we want to escape that conversation, why do we let our inner dialogue put so much head trash in our brains that affect us from being the best we can be and leading ourselves and leading others? And it's, you know, it's, it's like, um, it's like a ticker tape that keeps going. Right. So what, you know, when I, I coach people, I will say to them, you know, we normally have, I would say to your point about four kind of distortions and a distortion is just something that's kind of um, crooked thinking, I call it. Right. It's like, I have no evidence to support what I'm telling myself right now, but most of us, regardless if you've had a perfect scenario <laughs> in your in your life throughout, we, we, we kind of seem to go to three or four of them. And then when we're tired, we're worse at it. You know, that bullhorn gets, you know, louder and louder. And, and then we don't stop to reflect. And I think that's what a lot of times, um, you know, that importance of quietness that we talk about with awareness, right? Um, to really kind of tune into that voice and to challenge it, right? To say, you know, what evidence do you have to support that that person was being, um, you know, disrespectful to your point earlier? Well, I, you know, give me three facts that you know for a fact that that person in that interaction was disrespectful. And when you really kind of stop and you start to write down, I have no, I don't, in fact, don't have any facts. It's what I'm telling myself. Then you can say, what can I say to myself instead? Maybe, you know, Roxanne had a tough day because, you know, her young child was up and, you know, uh, maybe things aren't going so well. And then that allows you to flip the thinking. But again, it's that time to slow down. Um, I also, you know, kind of befriend those themes within your mind to recognize them and then say, you know, what can I learn from it? But I think a lot of people um, may not take that time. I don't know. With leaders, do you find that when you're coaching leaders or kind of some of the people that uh, do lead would deal with when you're kind of trying to get a sense of awareness with the leaders, do you find that they're open to some of the things we're discussing? Yeah, most of the ones we work with, without a doubt, um, they want to be strong leaders. They care about their people. Um, and it's not just about bottom line business results. I mean, you can tell there's a genuine care there, um, you know, a, a, a about their people, almost like in the Greek, um, I think it's called phileo. It's an aspect of love, which is just a, an admiration and love for other people. And, and most of the leaders that we work with, I think, just by nature of, of what our software solution does, they want those things. They want to pour into their people. They want to be doing um, not just, you know, the basics. They want to go above and beyond to help their people aspire. They want to help them dream. They want them um, to have happy lives at home. Um, and if that means working on communication skills at work, that also help them communicate better at home with their kids and their spouse, you know, or their friends, then that's a win-win-win all the way around. Um, and so most of, of those leaders we do work with, um, they're naturally curious in this way. And so they're kind of what, what I would consider fertile or, or ripe mm -hmm. for this kind of coaching. Um, we haven't worked with very many where they have to be coaxed into believing <laughs> Um, yeah. that these things are important. They're more, most of the leaders we work with are like, yep, we believe it. 
now show us how are we actually going to do this and develop these skills. And then the neat thing with our customers as well is what the scalability of the platform is, let's take what we're teaching our leaders and it's good for everyone. Let's get it to everyone in the organization because it's gonna be beneficial for them and being leaders in their homes, leaders with their friends, so on and so forth. So there's so much, um, you know, context variability there. That's beautiful. I think about authentic leadership is it's not only beneficial for the leader and for the company, but it's beneficial for the people. And it gives you, I don't like the term soft skills, but it gives you those, those skills of being a well-rounded human being and knowing how to um, engage with others. That's going to be wonderful, regardless of what context you find yourself. Absolutely. And I think, you know, with my new book um, that's coming out in October on authentic heart leadership and uh, working with resilient teams, I talk a lot about, um, you know, the leader or the manager that becomes the leader to really understand what I call their stress signature, right? Because I would say that oftentimes most leaders, you know, are, are very, they're very driven, um, they're one-pointed. Um, they are very good at a certain subset, but sometimes what happens is they can put their feet to the fire at a different um, temperature that's a little bit higher because they compared to the people they're leading. And what I find is that they, because they can trudge through so many things um, without thinking of themselves, that oftentimes a lot of uh, leaders end up coming to seek uh, coaching or executive coaching um, or any kind of support a little bit late. So I often talk a little bit about understanding earlier, um, what is my response? Okay, what parts am I in that window of tolerance of taking care of myself? Or am I always tipped out that my expectations are so high of others around me that I'm putting them under duress and I may not know it? So let's talk a little bit about awareness from a stress perspective. So with, uh, with leaders, um, what kind of things do you kind of uh, deal with with leaders in reference to stress that you find has been helpful um, to helping them with awareness? Yeah, I love what you shared that's going to be in your forthcoming book, and I can't wait to read it. But that idea of the stress signature uh, is brilliant, Roxanne, and Obviously, you know, with you being a psychotherapist and my background as a psychologist, I tend to think of things, old habits are, are hard to break. Mm-hmm. I tend to think in terms of antecedents, behavior, and consequences. Yeah. So what happens before a behavior, then you have the behavior, and then what happens after it? And a lot of the work we try and do is around the antecedents. So what are the things? What are the signals that you can tell? Some of them are biological. Like if you can train yourself to be present in the moment and you can actually feel your heart rate you know, starting to increase, that's a sign. That's a physiological response um, to stress. It's not always a bad thing, but Mm -hmm. certainly it's something that you want to be aware of that can then start triggering certain kinds of inner dialogue again, back to the inner dialogue of thoughts that you need to use to prime yourself for the situation that you're in so that you can handle it more appropriately. So recognizing some of those physiological signs, sweaty palms, Um, you know, things of that nature, I think are really important. But then after that is once you recognize the signals, then you got to have the the tools in your tool belt. Okay. I'm recognizing this about myself. Now, how am I going to engage with this person? And so obviously each person is going to be a little bit different for some who, who tend to be a little bit more, oh, this happened. I'm going to go right now and go solve this. 
probably would be wise, you know, to take a little time, you know, before something happens and to go interject yourself into the situation, take some time, you know, to do a little bit of research, some fact finding to understand it, because we definitely have worked with leaders that very much are, well, I'm going to go solve this right now. Mm -hmm. And so they'll quote unquote, grab the bull by the horns. And so even though it may not be something that necessarily pertains to them, they see the quickest way of dealing with it is for them to intervene and to do it. And that can often backfire because now you may have undercut potentially a manager or a supervisor who really should be the one empowered to handle that situation potentially with an employee or vice versa. You know, if it's something an employee is coming to you with. So I think there's always that balance of recognizing your signals and then making sure you've got the tools in your toolbox. And that's where experts like you come in to really help is they need a wide array of skills. Obviously, you know, we could go on and on probably for an hour and a half today of, you know, brainstorming the different skills or things that we have have done with leaders to put in their toolbox. There's many of them. But I think the, the main point from that is every context can be or situation can be unique. And so the more tools that you have at your disposal, if we're training those leaders and equipping them with the skills to really be collaborative problem solvers, to think deeply on the situation before acting, then that's going to give you a higher probability of them pulling a plan together that's going to work for the parties involved and come to a successful resolution. And seldom do I see the impulsiveness of this happened, I'm going to go take care of it right now. There may be some situations that require that, like if it's a safety measure or something like that, but most decisions throughout the day or conflict or challenges that come up, the prudent approach is to use those self-awareness skills if you don't necessarily have them, enlisting support from a coach or a consultant um, that works on those things is absolutely critical. And then once you have those skills, start to use them to really collaboratively problem solve with your people. Because as we know, as therapists, you can't solve people's problems. Um, no, many people think that's what we do. And, and you know, when, right. they, when you start to say to them, you know, I can, here, let's play a game. I'm going to tell you exactly what to go out and do. And I'm going to write it out for you and I'm going to sign it. And then you're going to go out and you're going to try it for a week. Maybe you kind of go, oh, second week, you're going to fall flat and you're going to come back and you're going to be mad because it's framed in my space versus yours. Right. And it's really about understanding of what, who, what, why and when, like, you know, that stuff in reference to what the fit is for that person. And I think leaders as well, because leaders have they're well-intentioned and they're you know, they're, they're driven and they get a lot done and, you know, those types of things. But I, even when working with uh, leaders in awareness, something as simple, and this is just a little strategy that I use with them is that they put alerts, I have them put alerts on their phone um, to cue them up to actually do something to stay present based on the they're the type that gets hyper or hypo. So hyper is just like it sounds. They get a little bit kind of, you know, uh, frenetic or hypo means that they get frozen. So throughout the day, this is something that I've done with a couple of CEOs I've been working with and they come back and they go, it can't be that simple. And then they try it and then they come back and they're like, wow. So I'll make them come up with something as silly as what's one of the songs that you, when, every time you listen to it, it brings you back 
you know, into a, like a happy place. And then they'll, you know, they'll tell me. So I say, okay, perfect. That's going to be one of your cues. Um, okay. So visually, you know, so it maybe for me, it would be an ocean. All right. So then you're going to, you know, load that on the top of your phone and sight, sound, taste, touch, smell. And I make them put those cues in with the um, actual um, alarms and they come back and they're like, I can't believe it. I, I did more. Plus at the end of the day, I had energy. I had energy to go back, you know, to come home and, you know, take my boys to the park or, you know, to get out to have that swim or versus being completely depleted to the point where, you know, I still work the same amount of time, but because I took those little breaks to kind of stay present. Um, and I, I was, you know, had a lot, same things, balls in the air that I was, you know, oftentimes uh, the CEOs were shocked that, that they were experiencing because, but they hadn't thought about that. And it was very long. It could be two minutes. It could be, you know, something very simple. And, and then they kind of were present again, and then they could go on and be more productive. So again, it's that whole element of being mindful and being in the present so that you can kind of take that mental break, do something that replenishes you and go on again. Music is so powerful to do that. I, I definitely have songs that I play um, whenever I'm about to step into certain kinds of meetings to get my mindset right. right. And so I definitely right. fall in that category. And I think what's so cool about that too is even musicians themselves, um, you know, talk about having an alter ego that they step into before they hop mm -hmm. in. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.